what we have traditionally thought of as the optimal group size, turns out that it's actually not the best size of people for the best growth to happen. And that was a bubble burster for me. Welcome back to the Transforming Discipleship Podcast, brought to you by smallgroups.com. It's a podcast designed for church leaders desiring to make disciples for Jesus Christ in the world. I'm your host, Oliver Hersey, and today we're going to discuss what makes a small group thrive with some special guests, Ryan Hartwig, Courtney Davis, and Jason Sniff, co-authors of a book that is about to be released titled Leading Small Groups That Thrive five shifts to take your small group to the next level. So Ryan, we'll start with you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having us today. Yeah. And where are you Where are you at right now? I'm in Denver, Colorado. Sadly, because of all of this, I'm up in my, in my bedroom right now uh, doing this podcast because I can't go still to work. So uh. It is sad when you're in Denver, Colorado to be holed up in a room somewhere. I'm not going to lie. That is coming. Yeah. And Courtney, where are you at right now? Welcome. We're glad you're here. Glad to be here. I'm in Glendora, California, a suburb of Los Angeles, and uh, yeah, hiding out in a guest bedroom, okay. uh, avoiding the what will be a 94 degree heat day here uh, in Southern California. Is it going to be dry heat though? Absolutely. It's going to be 94 here in Chicago, but it's going to be a balmy 94 and it is going to be brutal. And Jason, Jason, you can feel my pain. You are in the, you're in the Southern part of Illinois, normal uh, it's good to have you here. How are you doing? Doing well. I Yeah, I think I'm one of the only ones on our team that are actually in an office. So uh, it's quiet, at least for the moment. We'll see if somebody comes in. But yeah, glad to be here. Central Illinois, I like to say it this way, living in normal, but I don't live a normal life. So how's that? There you go. I like that. That's good. Yeah. Well, normal's a good town. I've visited before and uh, it's good to have all three of you on. We're so excited that you were able to do this and be a part of the Transforming Discipleship podcast. Your book is a masterful study that you guys have all worked hard to compile in partnership with smallgroups.com. And you all know Bill Search. I work with Bill Search with smallgroups.com. And he recently told me in a conversation I had with him last week that he knows of no other study like this that's actually gathering information from small group participants. So this study, I think, has so much to teach us about what we're doing well, as well as what we definitely need to improve upon. And some of those things are perhaps areas that we're all blind to. I kept finding myself thinking, oh, yes, this is what my team of leaders needs to be encouraged with. Or I would think, Ah, yes, that's exactly why that particular small group is thriving and why that one is not necessarily thriving. So I'm wondering, Ryan, for those listening right now, they haven't read your book yet, or hopefully they're thinking about buying it. Could you just give us, Ryan, maybe a 30,000 foot level overview of the book? Uh, It doesn't need to be long, but why does this book need to be on every small group pastor's shelf? Well, that's awesome. It's hard for me to say why it should be on everybody's shelf, but I can tell you what we tried to do with it. Sh- it should. I'm just going to go ahead and interrupt you. It should be. It should be. Well, go ahead, Ryan. I'll well, give okay. that endorsement. Well, okay. Thank you. I mean, I guess we we really appreciate that. But but yeah, we did a research study over a few years, and we did it in partnership with smallgroups.com. Certainly, we're so grateful for their support and helping us be able to reach pastors and gather data. But yeah, as you said, we, we gather data from pastors, from small group leaders, and from small group participants. And that data, as we were able to look at all of that together, it really helped us to understand what were the things that really made a difference for discipleship or for individual spiritual growth for members of small groups. And so we were able to go through all that data and see what it said. And we, we packaged it into what we say are five shifts 
to take your group to the next level. And so we tried in the book to not just say, how would a new leader necessarily come along and start their group, but any leader from any vantage points, whether you're new, whether you've been doing it for 10 years or 30 years, what are kind of the shifts that you need to make to help your group be able to thrive? And so how do we think about issues of purpose? And how do you think about issues of how do we set the stage and draw people in and have great discussion and those kind of things? So, so in the book, we want to kind of tell you what the research says that you should do, but then also come alongside and try to teach you and give you really actionable, practical tools to help you learn how to be able to do those different kind of things. So that's, that's what we tried to do here. I found that your practical insights throughout and the teachability components in this book were so helpful as a pastor and a small group leader myself, just giving me some flesh around the skeletal frame that you were giving us. It wasn't just like, you need to do this, this, and this. I got to hear how Jason has succeeded or Courtney has succeeded in their own environments. And that I really appreciated how you guys wove that in. So maybe Courtney, maybe you'd want to speak to this. I'm curious, just like, what does the, what does it look like to do this kind of research? How do you go about collating all of this data from small groups? I mean, how big is the net that you cast? We went big, uh, certainly asking Jason and his network of small groups, pastors, smallgroups.com, really helping us out in inviting churches to participate in this research. And so we asked for uh, churches to provide us data from at least three, if not five, small groups, some that were the best uh, in the eyes of a small group pastor and some that were above average. And so using that data, we are able to really compile it. And I think the biggest deal in this research is the outcome variable. And so I'm going to go into a little bit of researcher speak, but not too much, just to say we're mostly interested in the extent to which the group contributed to individual spiritual growth. And so we have a lot of really incredible things like Bible studies where people say they grow because they're in the Word of God every day. Please keep doing that. But in terms of small groups, what is it about the group that actually contributes to individual spiritual growth? And so that is where we were able to yeah, then be able to say, uh, group leaders, here's what to do and here's why you should do it. And I think that's the real power of the work that we were able to do. So, so Jason, it sounds like you had a large part of gathering the data as well in terms of your own small group ministry. You're a pastor of small groups down in Normal, right? Yes. Yep, that's and, right. You know, what was surprising to you in the data as you started seeing, I mean, you you think you have your finger on the pulse. I mean, I think that, right? I'm a pastor here, and you think you have your finger on the pulse. But what did you perhaps notice in the data that was surprising and you didn't anticipate seeing it? We have a number of fascinating things, and actually not all of them made this book. And so at some point, we'll have to figure out where, how do we release more of this information. The Transforming Discipleship Podcast. Come on. <laughs> hey, exactly. Right. No, but so two things happened for me. One was there's always affirmation of some things that you have hunches on as a pastor, right? And, you know, so we think this is how people grow. And some of that came about. But for, for me, one of the things that was super surprising for me is just the notion of what's the optimal group size for the best growth. And when this came out, like I remember talking with Ryan and Courtney about this and they're like, oh, this is a good finding. And I'm like, no, this is like, this is a big one. And so what we have traditionally thought of as the optimal group size, turns out that it's actually not the best size of people for the best growth to happen. And so within the book, it's actually smaller or bigger than, you know, what is traditionally seen as the 10 to 14 or 10 to 12. You know, that was the sweet spot. And I, that's what our ministry has been built on for years and years here at Eastview. And it turns out that that's necessarily not the best 
size for the most people to grow in that environment. And that was a bubble burster for me and to be specific about that. And so that it has implications, it's not just a good finding, but it has implications for ministry and how do you form groups, particularly with what the purpose of your groups are. And so that was one finding that I, I still am uh, excited about. And just for years, I thought that it was a different number. It's not. For, for me, you know, you buy students of the Bible and we sit here and we see the number 12 right all over the place in the Old yes. Testament. We think to ourselves, that's probably the right number, right? Like 12 disciples. But when you think about Jesus's ministry, Jesus had his 12 disciples, but he also was constantly in deep community with a smaller subgroup. And yes. there were, uh, it was Peter, James, and John that, that Jesus would spend some intimate time with. So you found, your research has found that it's smaller or larger than the number you guys anticipated it being. And there was all kinds of other caveats that you have in this book that have to be gleaned by, hopefully, you listening to this uh, will will hopefully go out and buy this book. I mean, it is very insightful. So the Transforming Discipleship Podcast, our aim, as you guys know, is to help ministry leaders learn how to make disciples and build communities that can transform lives. So I'm wondering, maybe Jason, you could speak to this for us a little bit. Maybe share with us a little bit about how small groups can serve as a place to disciple people? How do small groups function as a place where people can experience being discipled? I know you write about this a little bit in chapter one. Maybe you want to draw a little bit about that out, your research, but maybe how would you how would you speak to that? Yeah, two quick thoughts on that, Oliver. Um, and again, thanks for letting us be a part of this. It's really great to be here today. But one thing, we say this in a couple of different ways, is that groups are probably the best vehicle to carry out the mission and purpose of the church, right? So if you think of Great Commandment, Great Commission, Groups can carry that out. That came out uh, in our findings. And you'll find that as you read through even chapter one, but some of the other pieces of it. And it's because I think of a couple of things is one is that within the context of a church or even outside of each group can really define a purpose for themselves uh, that really drives where they want to go with things. So um, so that's one piece. The second part that I want to dive maybe a, a dial into that is that it matters what happens outside of the group in the sense of this, that whatever the group's external purpose is will really drive what happens on the inside more than what we kind of think. Right. So in the context of discipleship and, you know, you gather two to three, maybe four people together and you want them to grow as disciples. It's not just about what happens in that time together. It actually is also as important what you're doing outside of that gathering time. So if you're intent on sharing your story with other people, then the external purpose is that you need to go and share your story with two to three people outside of your group. And then you come back and you use that as an accountability litmus piece of that. So we use some specific terms on that in the sense of your group needs to define its internal purpose and its external purpose. And that external purpose actually drives the results internally more than what we think it does. Hopefully that makes some sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think I read, you know, there was a point in the book where your story comes out and you said you discovered in your studies of your small groups that those who had a focus that was more missional, Mm -hmm. um, an outward focus, I think you said it was more like um, going and um, giving, giving and going. You found that those groups actually had more spiritual growth than the groups who actually said, we emphasize spiritual growth, which I find so fascinating. I don't know, Ryan and Courtney, have you found this to be true as well in your contexts, that groups that are missional in focus tend to have a stronger spiritual growing element 
Yeah, absolutely. I'll jump in first on that. So certainly I have seen that. Um, and I've seen that a lot. I hang out more with more men's groups than women's groups, but I've certainly seen that with guys as well, that when there's something that draws folks together, you know, whether that is um, you know, trying to do some service for some folks or helping change some oil for some people at church on Saturday morning or whatever else, right? That draws people in. And then necessarily coming out of that, people start to hang out and spend some time. And then you start to see that connection, that relational connection and so on come. And that was a really interesting part of of our study and what the data showed there. So 90% of pastors are saying in our study that discipleship is primarily lived out in small groups. So they see that discipleship, fellowship, connection, and so on. Wait, wait, wait. Say, say that one more time. I mean, that, that is, we've got to hang on to that. Pastors in your study say what? Yeah, 90% of them said that, that small groups were the primary way that discipleship was carried out within wow. their church. I think discipleship and small groups are like tied right together. So everyone's saying that that's really important. But here's the thing. Oftentimes when we focus on that, we focus on that discipleship, we focus on that connection, that maybe that thing does not happen as much as we would like for it to happen. And that is what we was kind of really interesting, I think, to us in our study is that the groups that had more of a priority on, um, on ministry, on evangelism, on doing something outside of their group, it really did help to, to hone in that connection, that relational community, as well as that discipleship. You've said it over and over again, this idea of defining your purpose. And so for somebody listening right now, have you defined the purpose of your small group? Or are you just kind of floundering and gathering together and doing whatever is handed to you? I mean, what would you say is the purpose of your small group? That's a real important question that I think you guys would encourage all of us to be asking, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I like to say this. So so I work a lot with teams and so on. And I often say with that, that oftentimes the problems that teams experience are actually purpose problems that are masquerading as some other sort of a problem, like a trust problem or a personality problem or a people problem. But really, those are just, those really are purpose problems. I think the same is for groups. You know, so if you're in a group and you feel like people are just not coming or they're not really committed there and so on, that's most likely a purpose problem. Because there's something that's not compelling enough, that's not exciting enough, that's not drawing them in enough. And so they say, yeah, I guess I don't really need to show up or I don't need to show up with my best self because the work that we're doing there, the things that we're pursuing there just really aren't that important. And so I would totally agree with that. I mean, the, the, the place to start is to really think about why are we coming together? And it's not, it can't just be about us, the people who are in the room. It has to be about people who are outside of the room, whether that's spouses or children or other people in a workplace or whatever that is. And it just, it shapes everything. And having a purpose also presses us to work together through conflict and difficult and challenges. And I remember reading, um, Courtney, I think it was you, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but in the very beginning of the book, you share a little bit of your own narrative and how you had some experiences in small groups where there was, I think you said there was some gossiping and and, and I wonder, and, and it sounded like that group ended up, you know, it, was, it struggled and maybe didn't keep working out, right? <laughs> Would you say that that was like a purposeless group to a degree? I mean, how come you weren't able to work through those types of conflicts? And maybe you could even speak into the importance of learning to work through the tensions in a small group. I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on that, Courtney. Yeah, I think it's really tempting, and maybe it's specifically with regard to women, but certainly the church to go relational and that we really are meant to be relational. And so let's connect with one another and trust one another, share stories 
But that being the foundation is just not that stable. It, it doesn't provide the foundation on which people can grow spiritually. And so I even think about as I worked with Ryan and Jason on this project for three and a half years, Ryan and I knew each other and Ryan and Jason knew each other. And certainly this is not a church small group, but the ways in which we've pursued this project together, that relationship has happened as we have pursued this purpose together and trust comes along. Uh, one of the things that comes out of the small group literature is this idea that when you have vision and purpose, trust and relationship come along. But if you pursue trust and relationship, um, vision and purpose don't necessarily happen as a byproduct of that. And so, yeah, that first small group of young professional women I'm not quite sure there was much more that it was set up to be beyond let's be a group of friends who are Christians. And that just doesn't bind people together, nor does it really incentivize us to stay at the table, if you will. I think it was too easy to push away from the table. But when we say uh, our purpose here for our small group, for this Bible study, for this group of young professionals is to bring the word of God into our workplaces or to benefit our homes so that our homes thrive, that we are building people up, it pushes you to stick in. And that's to some degree what hopefully the local church is doing and that small groups are a part of, that we say this is the family table and we're not going to push away from the table, that we can have hard conversations because the purpose ultimately supersedes that. Um, it ends up becoming much more important. We're willing to say, Jason, your spiritual growth and your health, Ryan, your spiritual growth and your health. Ryan and I had a conversation late last week where you said, gosh, this is, we've got a lot of things going on in our world, being faculty members and uh, university trying to deal with all the things COVID and this book project. And, and really, I think without really saying it, we both said, ultimately, we want to be right before the Lord and we're going to care for one another as we pr pursue these things. And we're willing to forego a couple things, but our purpose is still that we are invested in one another. I think we've had a number of conversations, even the three of us, to say, this is most important. We've seen a lot of life together in the last three and a half years, literally on <laughs> Google Hangout for uh, once a week for the last three and a half years. We've done a lot of life together, praying through a lot of things. And that's the beauty of having, it's almost, it was a good excuse to gather, but if it were just to gather, I don't know that we would have what we have. And so the same with church small groups and Bible studies and um, all of these yeah, smaller communities, that's the joy is to put the purposes first and know that the rest of the trust and the relationship, the relational nature of our lived out faith is uh, possible because of that. That's great. Jason, you're nodding. I don't know if you want to chime in. Feel free to. Well, you know, I can't help it as a, as a group's pastor by trade, right? I get to work with two amazing people with their doctorates. I learned a lot in the midst of this, but in all honesty to what Courtney was saying, like, I feel like this is one of my closest groups of people because you know, we, we certainly were like, let's tackle this thing. Let's see where it goes. At the beginning, we had no idea they would end up here. We had, we had hopes that it might. But in the midst of that, like we've shared so many, like they know everything that there is to know about Team Sniff, which is my family and what we go through on a day in and day out basis, you know, I've been out to California a couple of different times. So I, I know the context of that Courtney and, and her family live. And I've known Ryan for a while. And I feel like that has just enhanced this whole thing. And it's just an example of the power of groups that are surrounded. When you when you have a goal and a purpose and it's God ordained, then there's some great stuff that comes with it. 
I do want to spend a, a few minutes right now just gleaning some wisdom from you. I mean, your passion for this book and the research, it's going to teach all of us ministry leaders a lot about how to facilitate and lead well in small groups. I really hope everybody's written down this title. I hope everybody's going to get on smallgroups.com and buy this book. And we're obviously now in these uncharted waters due to COVID-19 and its global impact. So I'm really curious, what sort of things might you encourage us today in this season as we're thinking through the fall ministry season, as we're thinking about our small groups? I'm sure, Jason, you have given us a deep amount of thought already. So whoever feels uh, led perhaps to start that, I'll I'll let either one of you three uh, begin. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah. So I think we spent a lot of time today talking about purpose, and that's going to be all the more important that the temptation will be to lean into relationality and to lean into relationship. But yeah, let's prioritize purpose and help leaders articulate, not just the ministry leaders, but the actual leaders of individual small groups to prioritize purpose rather than relationship and know that relationship then comes along. I think the second thing I would say is that if we are engaging in virtual groups, that there are a lot of groups that are going to be on Zoom as we are today in some sort of virtual environment, that directive leadership is going to be very important. And so the leader needs to know that it's uh, as opposed to an in-person group in the living room where you can lob a question and hope that someone picks it up. Zoom is not quite amenable to that. And so as a as a small group leader, uh, similar, honestly, to what you've done today, Oliver, is to say, hey, I've got this question. Jason, what do you think about that? Uh, what do you think about that? And Ryan, what might you add to that? And so giving people direction to know uh, how they can contribute and to know not only that it's permitted, but invited. And so that's the great joy of leadership in this era around COVID is the opportunity for leaders to actually step into an invitational sort of leadership to say, yeah, Oliver, I like your contribution. Uh, I think third, let's see if we can get face-to-face as much as we can, even if your group is not scheduled to meet regularly in the virtual, in the face-to-face, but you're virtual. How do you get creative about bringing people to your home anyway? And so one of the things we did early on in COVID, my husband got on the sourdough bread baking train he baked a loaf of bread and we did single serving Ziploc bag packages of bread that on Sunday morning we could partake of communion together. And, and so how can we be creative about that? That brought our growth group members, our small group members to our doorstep. We were able to have, you know, informal conversation that oftentimes the informality of relationship doesn't happen as well in virtual contexts. And so how do we increase the informal nature of how things are going? And so um, those are some general thoughts. And also to Jason's point earlier, that we really want groups to be much smaller, that in order to care for people well, we're going to need more leaders and we're going to need more groups because these groups are going to be smaller. And this is where we can engage in that messiness of life and the fatigue that I think many of us are feeling in this COVID era the desire to be together and the frustrations that come with all the things that are happening in the world, K to 12 schools and the governor of any of our states, uh, you know, it landed, yeah, um, passing down kind of the, the dictating notion of what's supposed to happen in the world. And so how do we engage in that? The fewer people that leaders are responsible for looking after, the more likely they're going to be able to pursue a real committed relationship to the members of their group. That is really helpful. And Courtney, those are very helpful thoughts. Go ahead, Jason. Oh, yeah. Uh, just to piggyback off of Courtney, with 
the smaller groups means more leaders, which I think internally means that the the purpose and how we uh, raise up new leaders uh, elevates to the top, right? And so disciple making elevates to the top in the midst of that. How are we really focusing uh, the experiences of groups matters? And then I, one other thing too, like uh, I think just groups in general um, become the front door into the church. And if it's not already that way for certain ministries, it is now because the big question is, is when our church is able to reopen or, how, you know, how many people can gather in person. But if you have an active group uh, ministry, active, active group life in your in your church family, um, that invitation, although it is starts out relational, can really draw and meet people's felt needs. Uh, and there's a lot of those out there right now. So I have one question for you guys. How would you guys complete this sentence for us in 2020, the purpose of my small group needs to be, and there's all kinds of things to talk about, right? You have the pandemic, there's racial tension going on in our country, there's political divide, there's economic disparity. Our small group, the purpose needs to be about discussing or exploring or serving what? Yeah, go ahead, Ryan. The purpose of a small group in 2020 this season needs to be about being a blessing to some particular group in your community, your neighborhood, et cetera, and caring well for one another. I think those are the two big challenges, right? Our world needs hope. I think our world needs the hope of Jesus, and we have opportunity to be a blessing to others. And then I think secondarily, we this is a, this is a difficult time, but we need to care well for other people. And I think that kind of that twin purpose, how do we be a blessing out there and how do we care well for people in here will really motivate and guide our small groups well. So thank you, my friends. Thank you, Courtney, Ryan, and Jason. We are so grateful for our time. So I appreciate you. Thank you so much. It's a joy to be with you. Thank you. This episode of the Transforming Discipleship Podcast has been brought to you by smallgroups.com. I'm your host, Oliver Hersey. I'm a pastor in the Chicago area. We want to thank all the ministry leaders who've turned into tuned into this episode. If you're finding this podcast helpful to you in your ministry, please share it with other ministry leaders. And would you do us a favor? Would you rate us right after this episode? We appreciate that so much. And as always, if you need more ideas or resources, we hope that you'll visit smallgroups.com to order books, Bible studies, and other training tools that will help you continue to build your small group ministry. You can also subscribe to get unlimited access to great materials that will help you to train your leaders and get ready for the next ministry season. And of course, don't forget, get this book, Leading Small Groups That Thrive, Five Shifts to Take Your Small Group to the Next Level by Ryan Hartwig, Jason Sniff, and Courtney Davis. Until next time, my friends, God bless.